Man in the Universe From the book of Richard Schuon, Light on the Ancient Worlds Modern science, which is rationalist as to its subject and materialist as to its object, can describe our situation physically and approximately. But it can tell us nothing about our extraspatial situation in the total and real universe. Astronomers know more or less where we are in space, in what relative place, in which of the peripheral arms of the Milky Way, and perhaps they may know where the Milky Way is situated among the other assemblages of stardust. But they do not know where we are in existential space, namely, in a state of hardening, and at the centre or summit of it, while at the same time being on the edge of an immense rotation, which is none other than the current of forms, the samsaric flow of phenomena, the pantare, all things flow, of Heraclitus. Profane science, in seeking to pierce to its depths the mystery of the things that contain space, time, matter, energy, forgets the mystery of the things that are contained. It tries to explain the quintessential properties of our bodies and the intimate functioning of our souls. But it does not know what existence and intelligence are. Consequently, given its principles, it cannot be otherwise than ignorant of what man is. When we look around us, what do we see? First, existence. Second, differences. Third, movements, modifications, transformations. Fourth, disappearances. All these things together manifest a state of universal substance. This state is at once a crystallization and a rotation a heaviness and a dispersion, a solidification and a segmentation. Just as water is in ice and the movement of the hub in the rim, so is God in phenomena. He is accessible in them and through them this being the whole mystery of symbolism and of immanence. God is the outward and the inward, the first and the last. Footnote. Quranic divine names, al-dahir, al-batin, al-awwal, al-akhir. God is the most dazzlingly evident of all evident things. Everything has a centre. 
Therefore, the totality of things, the world, also has a center. We are at the periphery of something absolute. And that something cannot be less powerful, less conscious, less intelligent than ourselves. Men think they have solid earth under their feet and that they possess a real power. They feel perfectly at home on earth and attach much importance to themselves. Whereas they know neither whence they came nor whither they are going and are drawn through life as by an invisible cord. All things are limited. Now to say limitation is to say effect. And to say effect is to say cause. Thus it is that all things by their limitation no less than by their content prove God, the first and therefore limitless cause. Or again, what proves the absolute extrinsically? In the first place, the relative, since it is meaningless without the absoluteness it restricts. And in the second place, the relatively absolute, that is, the reflection of the absolute in the relative. The question of intrinsic or direct proofs of the absolute does not arise. The evidence being in the intellect itself, and thus in all our being, so that indirect proofs can do no more than serve as supports or occasional causes. In the intellect, subject and object mingle or interpenetrate in a certain fashion. Certitude exists in fact, or else the word would not exist. There is therefore no reason to deny it on the plane of pure intellection and of the universal. Footnote. Modern philosophy is a liquidation of evidences and therefore fundamentally of intelligence. It is no longer in any degree a sophia, but rather a misosophy. In other words, a hatred of wisdom. The ego is, at the same time, a system of images and a cycle. It is something like a museum and a unique and irreversible journey through that museum. The ego is a moving fabric made of images and tendencies. The tendencies come from our own substance and the images are furnished by the environment. We put ourselves into things and we place things in ourselves, whereas our true being 
is independent of them. Alongside this system of images and tendencies that constitutes our ego, there is a myriad of other systems of images and tendencies. Some of them are worse or less beautiful than our own, and others are better or more beautiful. We are like foam ceaselessly renewed on the ocean of existence. But since God has put himself into this foam, it is destined to become a sea of stars at the time of the final crystallization of spirits. The tiny system of images must become when its terrestrial contingency is left behind, a star immortalized in the halo of divinity. This star can be conceived on various levels. The divine names are its archetypes. Beyond the stars burns the sun of the self in its blazing transcendence and in infinite peace. Man does not choose. He follows his nature and his vocation, and it is God who chooses. A man who has fallen into the mire and who knows that he can get out in this way or that and with a certain effort does not think of rebelling against natural laws nor of cursing existence. It is obvious to him that mud can exist and that there is such a thing as weight and he only thinks of getting out of the mire. Now we are in the mire of earthly existence and we know we can escape from it, whatever trials we may undergo. Revelation gives us this assurance and the intellect is able to take this into account a posteriori. It is therefore absurd to deny God and to abuse the world for the sole reason that existence presents fissures which it cannot but present on pain of not existing and not being able to existentiate. We are situated, as it were, under a sheet of ice that neither our five senses nor our reason enable us to pierce. But the intellect, at once a mirror of the suprasensible, and itself a supernatural ray of light, passes through this ice without difficulty, once revelation has allowed it to become conscious of its own nature. Religious belief also passes through this cosmic shell in a less direct and more affective manner, no doubt, but nonetheless intuitively in many cases. The divine mercy which is contained in universal reality, 
and which proves the fundamentally beneficent character of that reality. Desires, moreover, that revelation should intervene wherever that sheet of ice or that shell exists. So much so that we are never completely shut in, except in our refusal of mercy. Mistaking the ice that imprisons us for reality, we do not acknowledge what it excludes and experience no desire for deliverance. We try to compel the ice to be happiness. Within the order of physical laws, nobody thinks of refusing the mercy that dwells indirectly in the nature of things. No man on the point of drowning refuses the pole held out to him. But too many men refuse mercy in the total order because it surpasses the narrow bounds of their daily experience and the no less narrow limits of their understanding. Man does not, in general, want to be saved, except on condition that he need not surpass himself. The fact that we are imprisoned in our five senses contains within itself an aspect of mercy, paradoxical though this may seem after what has just been said. If the number of our senses were multiplied, and theoretically there is no limit in principle to their multiplication, objective reality would tear through us like a hurricane. It would break us in pieces and crush us at the same time. Our vital space would be transparent. We would be as if suspended over an abyss or as if rushed through an incommensurable macrocosm with its entrails exposed, so to speak, and filled with terror. Instead of living in a maternal, charitably opaque and watertight compartment of the universe, for the world is a womb and death a cruel birth, we would find ourselves forever faced with a totality of spaces or abysses and a myriad of creatures and phenomena such that no individual could possibly endure the experience. Man is made for the absolute or the infinite, not for limitless contingency. Man, we have said, is as if buried under a sheet of ice. His experience of it takes various forms. At one time, it is the cosmic ice that matter has become in its present and post-Edenic state of solidity. And another time, it is the ice 
of ignorance. Goodness is in the very substance of the universe, and for that reason it penetrates right into the matter we know, accursed though that matter may be. Accursed in quotation marks. The fruits of the earth and the rain from the sky which make life possible are nothing if not manifestations of the goodness which penetrates everywhere and warms the world and which we carry within ourselves in the depths of our chilled hearts. The symbolism of a fountain reminds us that all things are by definition an exteriorization projected into a void in itself non-existent but nevertheless perceptible in phenomena. Water in this imagery is, quote, the stuff that dreams are made on, Shakespeare which produces worlds and beings. The distance of the water drops from their source corresponds on the macrocosmic scale to a principle of coagulation and hardening, and also on a certain plane to a principle of individuation. The weight that makes the drops fall back is then the supernatural attraction of the divine centre. The image of the fountain does not, however, take into account the degrees of reality, nor, especially, the absolute transcendence of the centre or the principle. What it does take into account is the unity of substance or of non-reality, Footnote. That is to say, nothing can be situated outside the only reality. But not the existential separation that cuts the relative off from the absolute. The first relationship goes from the principle to manifestation, and the second from manifestation to the principle. In other words, there is unity from the point of view, quote, of the principle, and diversity or separativity from the point of view of creatures, inasmuch as they are only themselves. In a certain sense, worlds are like living bodies, and beings are like the blood or air that courses through them. The contents, as well as the containers, are illusory projections, illusory in quotation marks, are illusory projections out of the principle, illusory since in reality nothing can be separated from it. But the contents are dynamic and the containers static. This distinction is not apparent in the symbolism of the fountain, but it is apparent in the symbolism of respiration or the circulation of the blood.
The sage looks at things in connection with their necessarily imperfect and ephemeral exteriorization. But he also looks at them in connection with their perfect and eternal content. In a moral and therefore strictly human and volative context, this exteriorization coincides indirectly with the idea of, quote, sin. Footnote. Quote, all that becomes deserves to perish, says Goethe in Faust. But he is mistaken in attributing the destructive function to the devil whose role is, in reality, restricted to perversion and subversion. End of the footnote. In a moral and therefore strictly human and volative context, this exteriorization coincides indirectly with the idea of, quote, sin. And this is something that man insofar as he is an active and passional creature, must never lose sight of. There has been much speculation on the question of knowing how the sage, the, quote, gnostic, footnote. This word here and elsewhere is used in its etymological sense and has nothing to do with anything that may historically be called Gnosticism. It is Gnosis itself that is in question and not its pseudo-religious deviations. Back to the text. There has been much speculation on the question of knowing how the sage, the Gnostic or Jananin, sees the world of phenomena and occultists of all sorts have not refrained from putting forward the most fantastic theories on clairvoyance and the third eye. But in reality, the difference between ordinary vision and that enjoyed by the sage or gnostic is obviously not of the sensorial order. The sage sees things in their total context, therefore in their relativity and at the same time in their metaphysical transparency. He does not see them as if they were physically diaphanous or endowed with a mystical sonority or a visible aura, even though his vision may sometimes be described by means of such images. If we see before us a landscape and we know it to be a mirage, even if the eye alone cannot discern its true nature, we look at it otherwise than we would if it were a real landscape. A star makes a different impression on us from a firefly, even when the optical circumstances are such that the sensation is the same for the eye. The sun would fill us with terror if it ceased to set. Footnote. It is not for nothing that the Vedantists describe ignorance as, quote, mistaking a rope for a serpent. End of footnote. 
It is thus that a spiritual vision of things is distinguished by a concrete perception of universal relationships, and not by some special sensorial characteristic. The third eye is the faculty of seeing phenomena, sub specie eternitatis, and therefore in a sort of simultaneity. To it are often added in the nature of things intuitions concerning modalities that are in practice imperceptible. The sage sees causes in effects and effects in causes. He sees God in all things and all things in God. A science that penetrates the depths of the infinitely great and the infinitely small on the physical plane and yet denies other planes even though it is they that reveal the sufficient reason of the nature we perceive and provide its key is a greater evil than ignorance, pure and simple. It is in fact a counter-science and its ultimate effects cannot but be deadly. In other words, modern science is a totalitarian rationalism which eliminates both revelation and intellect. And at the same time, a totalitarian materialism which ignores the metaphysical relativity and hence the impermanence of matter and the world. It does not know that the suprasensible, which is beyond space and time, is the concrete principle of the world, and that it is consequently also at the origin of that contingent and changeable coagulation called matter. Footnote. It is not really exact in quotation marks, since it denies everything that it cannot prove on its own ground and by its own methods, as if the impossibility of material or mathematical proofs were a proof of non-existence, end quote. Sorry, that's footnote nine, which we, which we will come to in a moment. Footnote eight. Recent interpretations may perhaps refine the idea of matter, but they do not rise above its level in the smallest degree. Back to the text. The science called exact is in fact an intelligence without wisdom just as post-scholastic philosophy is conversely a wisdom without intelligence. The principle of individuation produces a succession of spiritual outlooks that become ever narrower. First of all, beyond this principle, there is the intrinsic vision of divinity. It consists in seeing only God. The next stage in descending order 
is to see all things in him. And next again to see God in all things. In a certain sense, these two ways of seeing are equivalent, or nearly so. After this comes the wholly indirect, quote, vision of the ordinary man, things and God. And finally, there is the ignorance that sees only things and excludes God, which amounts to saying that it reduces the principle to manifestation or the cause to the effect. But in reality, God alone sees himself. To see God is to see by him. One must know what contains and not become dispersed among the contents. What contains is above all the permanent miracle of existence, then the miracle of consciousness or intelligence, and then the miracle of joy, which, like an expansive and creative power, fills, as it were, the existential and intellectual, quote, spaces. All that is not capable of immortality will be burned. All that is not capable of immortality will be burned. Accidents perish. Reality alone remains. There is in every man an incorruptible star, a substance called upon to become crystallized in immortality and eternally prefigured in the luminous proximity of the self. This star man can set free only in truth, in prayer and in virtue. Alhamdulillahi wa ta'ala wa bihi nasta'inah.